everybody. Welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined, as always, by the resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Tired. Okay. It's the holidays. It's, it's uh, running, on, running on fumes. It's end of the year. We've talked about this before, particularly... Yeah, preachers yeah. have a lot to do at the end of the year, especially when uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And my entire family is coming to my house for Christmas yes. this year. So I'm trying to... None of that's ready. Like, I'm not ready. I'm not even close to ready to have them here. I'm just trying to get work stuff done. So I don't know. I did some I don't know. Christmas shopping yesterday, and I think I'm all good to go. So that's nice. Oh, that's finished up. I'm but not. It really... The holiday season very much feels like uh, just very severe senioritis where you're like, man, I just want to get to the day yeah, uh, and whatever has to take place before then, I'm just going to try to just try to coast to get there. It's like, I just want to get to Christmas. I'm not going to con. I'm not going to confirm or deny whether or not I did a little bit of Christmas shopping during church uh, Wednesday night. <laughs> Uh, because I remember, <laughs> I remembered that I forgot to order some stuff, um, and we're getting we're getting down to that time that if you're going to order stuff, like you got to get on it. I, I went right? to a we don't have store. a lot of delivery went days to a left. Physical store, so and no, grabbed physical. No, things. that's too much. That is too much for me. So I've got the gifts. If I can't do it during Wednesday night Bible class, uh, it's it's not being. I purchased. sincerely, I just hope it was like the teacher said something. Uh, like read a verse or uh, how how something was being described that you were like oh man this would make a great gift uh, at least did you did you buy something that has a bible verse on it so that you were spiritually focused? <laughs> uh, I'll uh maybe I'll have it monogrammed no I was I was sitting there and I was thinking for my nephew mm-hmm. I was like I was gonna buy him an outfit and it hit me I was like I never did that like just in the middle, I was like, I never did that. And I knew if I don't do it now, like I already knew what it was, like it's there ready to buy. But I was like, I, uh, if I don't do it now, I'm going to forget by the time I get home. While, while doing it during Bible class. Well, so <laughs> speaking of uh, not I'll, listening to the Bible class teacher, today's question that we're going to pursue is, are humans good? Uh, and <laughs> no, uh, I, I suppose it depends on. No, we're not. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to pursue that question, continuing on with the state of theology survey uh, that was posted. If you are checking us out on thinkingtheologically.org, then you'll have a link to that survey there. Uh, so you can check out these findings for yourself, though we will be discussing them here at the beginning. Before we get into all that, I want to remind you to go to thinkingtheologically.org. We've got some stuff uh, there that is not part of our podcast series. This is episode 50, by the way. It's incredible. We've been doing this for a little while now. Uh, Halfway to 100. uh, 25 of them were on New Heavens, New Earth, so that's cool, too. I want to remind you to go to thinkingtheologically.org. We've got some articles that are written there. Uh, We also have audio versions of those articles, so if you do... Uh, if you do follow us on various podcast places, you've probably received those audio articles. Uh, there are written versions on thinkingtheologically.org, so be sure to check that out. Uh, be sure to like us on Facebook as well, uh, and follow our various other social media accounts 
uh, to be notified when things like that go live. I believe we're on, do we, we don't have a thinking theologically Twitter, but we do have TikTok no. and Instagram, yeah? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, so I put our there stuff out on Twitter. So I handle can... Facebook things and Spencer's doing all the other stuff. So there you go. Uh, but if you follow us on any of those places, you'll be notified of various things as they come up and maybe some bonus stuff for you as well. Uh, and as always, we'd love to hear about some topics you'd like to uh, have for future episodes, uh, maybe questions that you have about previous episodes that you'd like for us to answer. We'd still love to do like a Q&A sort of uh, style episode. Sorry for the roaring in the background, if you can hear that. That is a plane taking off. <laughs> A massive jet from the Air Force Base. What are y'all doing uh, up there? It's planes all the time, man. It's crazy. Uh, but be sure to check us out on all those things. You can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you about all of that. And, of course, you can get a hold of us anywhere social media exists. If you want Spencer specifically, if you want me, it's got to be Facebook. So there you go. All right, we're uh, continuing with the survey series, as we said, uh, with the question, are humans good? Uh, Spencer, what were the uh, what was the specific uh, ask on the survey, and how did that break down for the U.S. adults and then the evangelical group? Yeah, so the, the statement made on the survey was, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. So a very... The statement is a very positive sure, yeah, yeah. view of human beings. We all sin kind of a little, but we're mostly all, by nature, I think that was an important thing, good people. Not that we all become decent sure. people, or most people become decent people, but that but just by nature, we're mostly good, maybe a little bit of bad. Uh, and among U.S. adults, 27% strongly agreed. With that statement, 39% somewhat agreed, uh, 6% were not sure, 14% somewhat disagree, 14% strongly disagree. So you've got, amongst U.S. adults, you've got uh, over half that agreed with that, over half. Yeah, like over, uh, overwhelmingly, right? Uh, 40, nope. Nope, uh, 60, 66%. Is that right? Something like that. I'm trying to do quick math. Uh, something like that. that. That math yeah. looks right. So, yeah, so you've got the majority, right? The vast majority of uh, U.S. adults agree with that um, statement. And well, when you go in. Before you get into the evangelical, e yeah. some of the implications of that, by the way, if you've got 66% of U.S. adults thinking that we're good by nature, just generally good individuals, uh, then the implication of that is uh, I don't need really saving from anything, uh, which is going to play into how we evangelize, uh, that people actually need to be convinced of something uh, related to uh, related to sin and and uh, the need for reconciliation and that there's separation there between us and God and all that sort of stuff. And I think we'll see that uh, in what Spencer's about to say about the evangelical stats, if you want to go into that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like what you said. What What's the, you know, what's the need for God if we're all yeah. just generally by nature good people? Uh, evangelicals, I kind of found it, it interesting. So 
22% agreed, 33% uh, 22% strongly agreed, 33% somewhat agreed. So again, you've got not quite as many, but you've got a little over uh, 50%. What is that? 55%? Which is still really high, Fifty, but it's closer to half. 5% agreed. Um, only 5% were not sure. I thought that was kind of interesting about both. You had 6% of U.S. adults were not sure, 5% of evangelicals. So most people felt like they were at least somewhat yeah. sure, right? Uh, amongst evangelicals, 15% somewhat disagree, 25% strongly disagree. Uh, so 40%... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, disagree. Fifty-five percent agree. So you've got um, a little more balance. You've got a little balance. Yeah. You've kind of got cl- not a split, but close close to one. Like kind of people. You see some. I think you see some people unsure yeah. about it, but it's still a little. I, I don't troubling. You have you have about a quarter on both of the strongly's twenty two strongly agree twenty five strongly disagree, like when you think about that, like this now looking at evangelicals, this these are people with uh, some belief in Jesus, wh- however that may be, like whatever distinctions might be there and all that stuff or specifics uh, is what I mean to say, uh, but they have this belief, but then you've got fifty five percent of them that are like, well, I'm generally by nature good. Okay, well then, what's the what do you believe about Jesus? What's the point? What's what is he doing for you? Uh, why do we need him? All and that stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of the people that I know, maybe their hang up would be more on the everyone sins a little. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like so. So maybe you maybe you end up in a somewhat agree or somewhat disagree. You know, wh- wh- wherever you want to to fall. But uh, I, I think. I don't know. I feel like most people would have a problem with just saying just a little. Everyone sins just a little. Maybe they'll they're fine with people are good by nature because that is a difficult thing as we're going to see to kind of figure out how all that works. But I don't know. I, I feel like I would want more people to be like, well, you, you sin more than just a little. So maybe if I agree by the nature part, it would just be somewhat sure. agree. Uh, but the strong stances, like you mentioned, are kind of interesting yeah yeah i mean the that quarter that almost quarter of the the group there that's like yeah for sure i mean 22 versus 27 percent in the strongly agree on u.s adults and evangelical there it's just super interesting how close those are i mean if you strongly agree with we all sin a little bit but we're good uh then like i get that if you're not a believer in any capacity but if you are then what does that mean? What does that do? God covers the rest, maybe. Some of this might be grace misunderstanding of I do X percentage, God covers the rest, that's grace. Like, well, it's not really grace. Uh, but I know a lot of people have that idea, so maybe that's maybe that's where that is. We could speculate a lot of things. I think what you said is, is probably true as well of the sinning a little thing. Uh, I think there's... I mean, even the way that we pray sometimes is, uh, you know, multiple prayers during a worship service or something about forgiving us of sin. 
It's like, well, we didn't do anything the last 20 minutes to sin, I hope, <laughs> while we were sitting here in the service. Uh, but we, we kind of view ourselves as constantly sinful people. Uh, and so maybe that's part of this too. But uh, interesting nonetheless. Uh, but we want to focus, I think, mostly on the uh, on the nature part uh, of this, the good by nature, and trying to navigate what the Bible says about this. One of the things that we'll discuss, uh, as we have phrased in our notes, uh, the historic belief. So there's there are some things that have persisted for an amount of, a long amount of time here that we're going to try to navigate. Through, we disagree with this historic thing, by the way. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. But we want to look at this idea of the nature of people, of humankind, uh, as we go throughout Scripture as much as we can. Uh, and we're going to begin at the beginning, as uh, we seem to often do uh, in these things, with the idea that human beings are created in the image of God uh, from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Spencer, where do you want to take us uh, from there? Before, real quick, before we get into yeah. the Genesis account, one statement about uh, historical Christianity uh, that uh, we're going to get into as we move on some historical beliefs. Uh, and kind of what we're going to see, I think, is that the a lot of the historical beliefs that have existed throughout Christian history are, I think, on the right track, but maybe overstate some things, uh, misunderstand some things, go too far with some sure. things, right? Uh, maybe at the, the very core. Uh, but I think we've said this before. We Protestants in general are so afraid of being Catholic yes. that we start hating and disregarding Christian history, which is problematic because the people in the in historical Christianity, I guarantee you are a lot smarter than any of us, so it would do us good to read and listen to them a little bit. Um, when you go back to church fathers, you have people that are actually speaking, their first language is the language that scripture is written in, the New Testament yeah. is written in. I think they have something to say about how to interpret that. We don't have to agree with everything, but you know, listen to them. And if Christians for 2,000 years have believed something, you better have a good reason to think yes. differently. Um, and, it, and it better be a really, really, really good reason. Because if we believe in the power of the church and the power of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and the power of God, uh, there's got to be something to uh, beliefs that have been held for centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, not that they're always right, but uh, again... You better have, because that goes back to a lot of the guys explaining these are a lot smarter than we are. So have a good reason. I don't agree with everything, right. as we're going to see, that's historically been held. They're not God. Right. They're not Jesus. They're not inspired. But we're not suddenly uh, more that doesn't mean we just than everyone that's ever come before us uh, or something like that. No, yeah. let's, there's a lot to yeah. learn there, and we'll see that as we move through. But going to Genesis, a uh, good place to start. When we go back to Genesis, uh, we see that human beings are created in the image of God. We've talked about this in several contexts, several episodes, about the meaning of being created in the image of God. And this means that human beings are created to reflect God back into the creation. We are to do God's work. 
the universe is God's temple. It's God's kingdom. A lot of different imagery that you could use there. But we're the means through which God intended to work in the world. Who carries out God's mission? Who does God's work? Who cares for God's temple, God's kingdom? Well, it's the human beings created in his image. The imagery that I like to use to think about what it means for uh, human beings to be created in the image of God is I like the, the imagery of human beings being like a mirror. Yeah. Right? We're a mirror and we're meant to reflect God and God's glory back into the world. Uh, the problem is, is that sin has cracked humanity's mirror. I think that's a way of thinking about what does sin do to us? Well, it, it cracks our mirror, which means we no longer perfectly reflect God's image. Like, like, just like a cracked mirror, we still reflect God, but not perfectly, right? If you looked in a cracked mirror, you still kind of see yourself, but it, it's it's a little off, right? It's not exactly yeah. right. Uh, but it's not that a broken mirror doesn't reflect anything anymore. And I think that's the way to think about us as image bearers of God, but at the same time impacted by sin, that we, like a broken mirror, we still reflect God at times, but it's imperfect. We, we don't perfectly reflect God's image. And at times, I just thought about this the other day, actually, I don't know why this never came to my mind, but at times I think I would argue that we even reflect something other than God. Maybe we find ourselves reflecting ourselves, living out of selfishness. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that Paul may say that that's the biggest struggle that uh, uh, human beings have is being selfish. That comes up a lot in in Paul. Uh, maybe sometimes we reflect yourself. Maybe sometimes we reflect something else. That's the uh, other than that's God. The um, Matthew five and Matthew six distinction of uh, city on a hill, light to the world idea versus the do not do things in order to be seen by others. Like, well, do I do these good things or not? Well, yeah, do the good things. But the point is to reflect Jesus, not to get your own notoriety yeah. and things about it. Yeah. 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 And so when we bring all that together, I think what that means is that every human being at least has the, we'll talk about this more as we go through, at least has the potential the potential to do yeah. good. But that the cracks in our mirrors prevent us from doing good perfectly, right? We still reflect part of God, but we do it imperfectly. And some people's mirrors are more cracked than others. I, um, I, I don't think, and we could spend all day talking about how that works and why that's the case, but not everybody's mirrors are as cracked as others. So uh, you take someone like Mother Teresa, or Gandhi, right? These really, really good people, right? And you compare them to Hitler, let's say. There's a big difference in the crackedness sure, of yeah. mirrors there. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole host of reasons of why that's the case. But we do have to recognize that some people's mirrors are more cracked than others. However... I think scripture teaches that every good thing comes from God so that whenever a person does something good, whether they are Christian or a non-Christian, they are living out of the part of themselves that is made after the image of God. And 
I think that's so important for Christians to recognize because sometimes we think that only Christians can do good things or only Christians can produce good things. If you think of just generic things that are good and beautiful and knowledgeable, you know, books and music and uh, movies and things like that. Sometimes we think, well, only Christians can do good things. And I would say, well, if we believe that everyone's made in the image of God, that's not true. Everyone has the capacity at times to live out of the part of themselves that's made after the image of God. They may not even know what they're doing. They may not recognize that God's shining through in what they're doing. I think that's the advantage that Christians have. Christians can look at things going on in the world and they can identify where God is at work, which is something that I don't think a non-Christian can do. Because if you don't believe in God, you're not going to be able to recognize God's doing something there. But we as Christians can, and I think we need to sometimes open our eyes to see God working in places and in people where we didn't think that he could work, where we've never been able to see him work before, that it's not, we, we don't, you can't put God in a box, right? We, we don't, uh, Christians aren't the only people that have access to God. We don't get to keep God for ourselves. God's the God of the entire creation, which is interesting that's what God has to remind Israel time and time and time again, that he's not just their God, that he's the God of the entire earth. And I think sometimes as Christians, we would be good yeah, yeah, to remember that. But you bring all that together, and I think starting out, starting out at the beginning, we see that at the very least, humans are born with the potential to do good. Are we born naturally good, naturally evil? We'll develop that more here in a few moments, but the image-bearing idea of God means that we have to at least start with saying that there's potential there, and that when people do do good things, everyone, no matter how evil a person may be, at times does something that's good. When they do something that's good, they're living out of the part of themselves that's created after the image of God. So we have the potential to be good people. And that's the whole point of the new creation of our mirrors are fixed. We're renewed to be the good people that God created us to to be. It's there somewhere. But the question becomes how much of that is destroyed. And as we're going to kind of go on, I think I would argue the gay good bit most of that is sin messes that up pretty good yeah and that's i mean this is how genesis progresses and that's where we're going to head like where where what creates the cracks and uh then where do we go from there right so you you enter into the uh if you just follow along in the the genesis narrative as it's recorded for us you get the uh genesis 3 sin which then snowballs and it's an act of disobedience against god which is bad uh, but then the next chapter is, well, how about we throw in disobedience against God through murder? Okay, well, that's that's pretty rough. Then you get this genealogy of the murderer there, and it's not very good. Uh, and then that follows into, let's fast forward through Seth's line, and okay, here's the flood, and the thoughts of man are on evil continually. You know, yikes. Uh, here are these cracks that, uh, kind of like when you get the little chip on your windshield, and you don't take care of it, it just explodes across your windshield and the whole spider web thing. Uh, that's that's what we have in Genesis. Uh, sin coming in and cracks beginning to form and then really just 
going all over the place. So, uh, so let's talk about that because sin is going to get at the whole nature. And is this something that carries with us? Is this something that is only acted upon? Is there somewhere in between all of those things? Uh, what do you want to uh, start when it comes to uh, the results of, of sin here? You've got a great <laughs> illustration <laughs> with all of this. I'm looking forward to it. Well, okay. Yeah. So uh, the first place that my mind goes is I think of the way that Paul describes sin at the end of Romans 5. At the end of Romans 5, Paul presents sin as a king yeah. uh, that rules. And so sin becomes bigger in that section of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 through the end of chapter 8. It becomes bigger than just individual people missing the mark. It becomes personified. It takes on a life of its own. Like I said, at the end of chapter 5, Paul presents it like a king that comes into the creation and sets up a kingdom and is now, sin is now ruling over God's creation. Whereas in Genesis 1 and 2, God was ruling. Yeah, Sin comes in, now sin is ruling, which is why Jesus comes and says that he's bringing the rule and the reign or the kingdom of God back onto the earth. So you can kind of see that imagery throughout scripture. But when you think about the kingdom of sin ruling over God's creation, We've got to to recognize, and it doesn't take you looking very far into the world to see that the world is broken. And it's into this broken and sinful world that human beings are born. We're born into a world that is under the power of sin. And so the illustration that I think works well for this is that human beings being born into a broken world that is under the power of sin is like falling into a septic tank you're going to get dirty there's there's no way around it you can't fall into a septic tank and not get dirty you can't be born into a broken and fallen world and not get dirty um now jesus did and i don't think we're gonna have time to get into exactly how that works uh but that's a delicate balance of understanding what happened with jesus but We'll save that and probably come, hopefully come back to that at another time. But being born into our broken and and fallen world is, like I said, it's like falling into a septic tank. You can't help but get dirty. And so I think in that regard is where we can talk about the concept of original sin. And so if you're familiar with the, the Catholic doctrine of original sin, original sin has been something that has been believed throughout much of Christian history. And the historic belief of original sin, which is guilt for Adam's initial sin that is passed on through the sex act. That is, uh, all human beings are guilty of the sin that Adam committed. And that guilt, not just impacted, I think we're impacted. We'll talk about that as we moved on. But there's a difference between impacted affected by yeah, yeah right we're and being guilty of being accountable for that sin so historically the idea was we are guilty of we are accountable for adam's sin and that guilt is actually passed on through the act of sex uh, that is not something that we believe is supported in scripture one it's a very bad scriptural view of sex and it's also not the way scripture talks about our guilt for sin our guilt for sin is on us it's because of the decisions we make not because of the decisions 
that somebody else has made. Now, we can be impacted, right? We can be influenced by the sins that other people make, but I'm not guilty for those. The decisions that I make is what leads to my guilt. Um, I think you had a comment about yeah, Genesis 5. Uh, when we say that Scripture doesn't support uh, this idea of the sin itself being passed on, Scripture does seem to support, uh, in Genesis 5, 1 through 3, uh, of the uh, the generations of Adam, it reiterates some of what we've already heard, that they're blessed, that male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Uh, and then you have Seth enter in, and Genesis 5 is his genealogy leading us to the flood. Uh, and it's said of Seth that he is also born after this image and likeness. Uh, and so what Scripture does seem to support is People are made in the image of God, and that passes on, uh, but the sin itself does not. So like like Spencer has said, you know, it's the difference between, okay, you're born into a world, or you, you have fallen into the septic tank, but you have to you know fall into it first. Uh, you aren't born as like, okay, you are just dirty now that you exist. Well, it's not, that's not quite it. Uh, you will get dirty, though. Uh, but you don't begin that way. At least we don't believe Scripture supports the idea uh, that you begin that way. Yeah, so it, when I do think, though, we can talk about, and this is where I kind of mentioned that I think some of this stuff historically kind of begins moving in the right direction, but maybe goes too far or sure. overstates things. Uh, so I I think I would want to talk about the idea of original sin, of, of the results of Adam's original sin, but I would want to talk about it a little bit differently than us being guilty of that sin in some way. I would want to talk about it more of, like I said, the impact or the influence that because Adam sinned, as Paul says in Romans 5, sin came into the world. And because of that, we can now see the impacts of the power of sin on human beings from birth. And at times, I think we can even see the impact of sin on human beings prior to birth. So it seems to me that from birth, human beings are acted upon by the forces of sin. So again, there's a difference there between being guilty of and being impacted by or being acted upon or being influenced uh, by sin, but I think from birth, human beings are acted upon by the forces of sin to deform their image-bearing ability, their desires, their thoughts, their relationships, and their spirituality. Uh, so it seems to me that that from birth, sin is trying to work on us to deform all of this. And I mean, just look at the world; sin's pretty good at doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, additionally, we can even see the impact of sin on the biological makeup of human beings, right? And an individual can be born, for example, with a tendency towards things such as anger or addiction or pornography or whatever you want to name, right? You you think of a, a child that ever since they could talk, you know, you could quickly set them off, right? Anger is something that they're going to struggle with for the rest of their life. Or someone that's born with an addictive personality. Uh, Addiction can be handed down. You just look at family trees and you can see the way addiction can be passed on. Uh, So again, you're you're even, you're seeing almost from conception sin acting upon human beings. Again, 
Not that we're guilty, not that we're born guilty of sin. Not that, you know, babies are going to hell because they're guilty of sin, right? But we can begin to see the how sin begins to act upon the human being, to deform us, to challenge us, to tempt us, to steer us, and to pull us away from God. Jack and I were talking beforehand. You, you, you look at a, a child and children generally, you know, you don't see things like prejudice in them early on. It doesn't seem that, you know, children are born with prejudice, but you do see things like selfishness and anger. And I mean, it seems like from the time you come out of the womb, we are bent towards some of those things as humans to being selfish, to being sometimes to being angry to uh, whatever it may be. Uh, And I think you could even take it to the point of the thinking about how people can be born with physical and mental disabilities or defects, right? Where their body and or their mind does not operate in the way that God designed it, in the way that God intended it. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, from conception, you see not guilt for sin, but you do begin to see the impact of sin on human beings before you're born, before you can even grow to the point where you can understand good from evil and make decisions to choose good over evil, sin's already done the work on you. That goes back to being to falling into the septic tank. It's not going to be very long mm-hmm. before you're dirty. So even if you wanted to say sin doesn't do anything to a person before they're born, which I think just birth defects and some of the things we've talked about show that that's not the case. But even if you wanted to say that, you think about, well, what age does can someone choose good and evil? Let's say... You know, we like the number 12 because of his sure, history in sure. Jewish Judaism. So you say 12. That's 12 years of sin acting upon a person. Yeah, yeah. You can't tell me, even if you grow up in the best family in the world, that that's not going to have a significant impact by the time you do get to choose. And you are responsible for the decisions that you make, that you're not at that point deformed in a way where you're not going to always choose what's good. You can't tell me that by that point in time, your mirror's not cracked in some way where now that you're responsible for what you're reflecting, that you're now only going to reflect God. That just doesn't seem to be the case. And I think if we're honest with our own experience and the way that we see the world it would be hard to argue something else, I think, because the, the world is a pretty broken and disastrous place at times. Yeah. Uh, this is a little bit difficult for us to understand, and I think our language doesn't lend well. And we, we kind of, we kind of uh, or I mentioned this at the beginning, uh, the sinning a little and sinning a lot and all that stuff, uh, where Christians will often refer to themselves as sinners. Like, well, that's... That's not who you are anymore. Like you are, you you might sin, but you are not a sinner. Uh, those are those are different things. Uh, you you are saved. You're you know saint or however you want to to call it, but not a sinner. Though you will still struggle with sin, uh, and those are like those are the continued cracks that are there. Like saved, mm-hmm. but capacity to sin still, kind of the yeah. flip on what we're talking about here, eventually yeah. moving towards a place where sin and its effects are defeated and uh, no possibility for sin to have any kind of re-entrance into 
the world, of yeah. course, talking about the new creation, uh, where all the cracks will be completely removed, right? It'll be the, the perfect reflection, image-bearing of, of God and all of this. Uh, so there's definitely cracks and uh, the capacity or potential to uh, give into yeah. those things and make them worse. Yep. Uh, it goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, but to say that you just begin without any capacity to be good or you begin fully immersed just in your being as evil uh, doesn't really seem to be supported uh, in, in the text anywhere. And and I really like what you said about uh, us not not thinking of our we still sin but not thinking of ourselves as, sin, as sinners. Uh, I've I've never liked the language of referring to anyone Christian or non Christian as a sinner because to me the language suggests that they the the, the human being as a human is bad sure right and the the problem isn't the person uh in the article we'll, we'll have this coming out for christmas talking about the birth of jesus one of the things that i said is it sh- it shows the how valuable human existence is to god that god would become a human um and that's why i like the imagery of the, the mirror because i like talking about brokenness that we're all broken and when you think of Christians, we're still broken, but Christians, through the power of the Spirit, God's putting us back together again, right? We're, we're on the path to being renewed, uh, but we're still, we've still got broken parts of us. Yeah. And when you look at someone that's not a Christian, I like talking about, yes, they're broken, but they're, they're as a human, I don't like they're not bad. There's brokenness in them. They need God to put them back yeah. together. Like God yeah. is putting us back together. They need to be they need to be brought into the fold of God's people where we are working together to allow the spirit to put us back together. Um I to me that's a very that's a much healthier way of viewing ourselves, kind of like you said, and it's also a healthier way of viewing yeah. other people. It becomes not as much of an us and them or an us better than them, but it's let's bring them in so we can do this thing together uh, to allow the spirit to work within us. Yeah, the as a group. language Paul uses is, you know, sanctified. We are, we are saved now or have been sanctified, uh, but we are also being sanctified. So there is a, there's a moment, but there's also a continual process until the ultimate Fully, mm-hmm. uh, and people that haven't, uh, people that haven't hit that first step are just people that haven't hit that first step of haven't begun that sanctification process. Uh, doesn't mean that they can't do some good things, uh, but that's the difference between, uh, if you want to look at it this way, us and them uh, is okay. They they have the capacity to make this jump here, uh, and if we properly reflect. Uh, out of the mirror that we have with the capacity that we have, uh, which is more than we think. Uh, if we properly reflect that, then we might be able to get them a part of that still broken but saved and being sanctified uh, state. Anyway, that's original sin <laughs> in our discussion on that. So where do we want to go from here? Yeah. Well, so I mentioned how 
you know, when we think about the way that original sin works is that we're still born image bearers of, of God, but that it seems that sin begins to work on us from conception in various ways. And then we talked about when we think about, you know, if you wanted to put an age on it and we said 12, where you begin to now understand good from evil, you can now make decisions to follow God or not to follow God. That sin has already had, you know, 12 plus years to work on you, to deform you, to crack that yeah. mirror. Um, I, I think that's where you get into the idea of free will. So that's connected back to the last episode when we were talking about does God change? And I, I argued for open theism where God knows all the possible futures and he knows with uh, because he knows us so well, he knows generally what we're going to do, but we still have free will. We still have the choice. We still have choices and God has plans to work within all the possible futures to bring about his intended yeah. goal. Uh, so when we start thinking about our free will, we have the ability to choose. I would argue for limited free will. And this is what I mean by that. I think that human free will is limited by sin, circumstances, nature, and experiences. That the choices individuals make are his or her own decisions, but that the options they believe are open to them are limited. For example, Paul in Romans 12 and in Philippians 2 talks about how sin corrupts our thinking. It impacts people's decisions. The, the way that we think about events and therefore the way that we choose how we are going to respond to them, that's also impacted by sin. Paul seems to me in his letters to focus primarily on the thinking, how sin corrupts our thinking and how the Holy Spirit renews our thinking so that we can begin thinking like God and making decisions like God because it's our thinking that then determines the actions that we take, the choices that we make. It all begins in our mind. And that's why Paul talks so much about allowing the Spirit to change our thinking because sin, again, from the time that we're born, begins to impact the way that we think about the world. You add to that, that a person's previous circumstances set the stage for what the person believes he or she can or cannot do. So, for example, if a person has been told their whole life they are not good enough, they will make decisions based upon that belief. So you think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You grow up in a family, for example, that tells you you're not worth anything. Well, you, you hear that your whole life growing up, you internalize yeah. that. And that now determines how you make decisions. You make decisions as if you are worth nothing. Well, why? I would argue that goes back to sin. It was sin in your family that taught you that. But now that's the way that you live. You're, the way that you live is now influenced by sin because of your previous circumstances. Uh, you add to that human biology gives limitations to what humans can and cannot do. Um you know, not everybody can become a pro athlete just because you will it, right. right? Just because you want to become a pro athlete doesn't mean you can become a pro athlete. You know, some people just aren't born with the physical abilities to do that. And you could, that's a simple example, but you could even go on and continue to sure, carry that out. You can be trained, right? But still not picked up. Uh, uh, maybe you get picked up by a college to play but the nba doesn't pick you up right like there's 
so many things, factors that, that play into all of that. Uh, and then you're going to have people, like you said, that like, well, that's nice that you want to play basketball, but you literally cannot. Like you have no, you just yeah. don't have the capacity for it. Yeah. Yep. You just can't. You can will it, you can want it. It doesn't mean it's yep. going to happen. And then you can add, then you can add how it is limit the choices a person believes are open to them because of what if what they have and have not been able to do mm-hmm. in the past so uh you've tried something in the past you weren't successful at it chances are you're going to be hesitant to try it if the if it presents itself again in the future because in your mind it's like well i wasn't able to do it before why would i be able to do it now and so we tend to limit ourselves because of experiences and i would argue sin plays a role in all of that and so when we talk about when we do get to the point where we can, through free will, make decisions and we are responsible for our decisions, sin through the impact that it's made since we were born and the way that sin continues to impact on us uh, makes all of that difficult because it impacts our the way that we think. It impacts the experiences that we've had and the circumstances we've put in. We've been in in the past, which impact the decisions that we make in the present. It impacts our biology, which impacts the things that we can do, the decisions that we can make, and the way also the way that we think about the world. And so, I mean, you you just start beginning to put that all together, and that kind of connects with the next section, the idea of total depravity. Like, what what does that lead to? Like what, 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 what does that mean for human existence? Yeah. And I, I would argue that due to the way that sin is so ingrained into human existence, that human beings are unable to consistently choose good. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Romans 7. Again, the end of Romans 7, Paul just in a great way describes for us the struggle of human existence. He talks about the good that we want to do, we do not do. And the evil that we do not want to do, that's the thing that we keep on doing, right? You just think about sin impacting us from conception in all of these different ways. And that's the way we could talk about original sin. That's the way we could talk about limited free will. Now, to me, what Paul says in Romans 7 makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense that the good that we want to do, we don't do. Yeah. Not that we don't have the capacity necessarily, but that goes to kind of the limited free will. Because you think about, you have a, maybe because of your experiences and your circumstances, a, something presents, a circumstance presents itself to you. And because of your previous circumstances, previous uh, environments, previous experiences, you look at that. And in your mind, there are only there's only one way to respond to that. And it's not a good way. But that's what you've learned throughout your life yeah, yeah that's the way you respond and that's the only way to respond it's not that it's technically impossible for you to do something good but because of the way sins impacted you that's never going to cross your mind so it's not that it's technically impossible but it is impossible if, if that makes yeah, sense um, it's not out of the realm but if it never crosses your mind if if you're unable to come up with that idea, then it's not something that you're ever going to do. I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at in Romans seven. There's, uh, I, I've I've talked to uh, those specifically dealing with pornography, and this this was my experience in in dealing with those things in my own life as well. Of the 
you you don't want to go there, but there's this strong pull, and you know you want you want to get out of it, and maybe you can for a time, but then it comes back in, and a lot of that has to do with uh, maybe a moment that is experienced, something that is you know deeply uh, depressing or stressful or whatever, uh, and so that that is you going, I don't want to do this thing, but my brain's telling me to do this thing. Cause I, you know, cause of the conditions that I'm under now, uh, to go back to this sinful behavior. Uh, but then immediately afterwards, there's this, why am I doing this? This is not who I'm supposed to be. This is not who I want to be and all that sort of stuff. Uh, which I think, I think that more than uh, maybe not anything, cause I've heard similar to the alcohol and drug addiction struggles, but those are all very similar. Uh, in that uh, there have been uh, ways that y- your way of thinking has been affected deeply as far as choosing to do this thing in response to this kind of stuff and the, just mm-hmm. the cycle repeats. Uh, and that's where a lot of people find mm-hmm. themselves is exactly what Paul described, exactly what you've just laid out of the, I want to reflect the sun, but I'm... I, I want to bear God's image, but I'm trapped in this thing, and my brain's telling me to do this, and I'm trying to fight against it. But my, you know, my body makeup, my biology now, because it does change you, it wants to lean this way, mm-hmm. and there's just the constant struggle. And uh, yeah, going back to the septic tank idea, like if you're trying to get out of the septic tank, guess what? You're probably going to get more dirty before you can. <laughs> try to make your way out right you're just going to keep reaching in and it it reminds me was it the book turned into a movie i believe it was called um uh redeeming love that's loosely based on the biblical book oh yeah 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 uh hosea uh uh, i remember going to my sister and mom read the book uh, so i went with them to to see the movie uh it got some hate from it was Christians, rather graphic, I thought as I it, understand. Which is, uh, yeah. Yes. For better or worse. I thought it, I thought it was good. Um, we can, again, d- debate on how... Because what it did was it showed true human experience, sure. which sure. I, I, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I think... D- you've got age appropriateness when it comes to understanding human experience, right. but it was true human experience. But the point being, right. The woman is a prostitute. And when things get hard, that's what she runs back yeah. to. Cause that's what she knows in her mind. That's the only option open to her. It's not right. But in her mind it is. Yep. And that goes kind of what we're, we're she, she can't think of another way to do things. Cause that's all she's ever known. Which is and the characterization of Israel within that book. Yes, which you could say Israel is the characterization of humanity. Yes, so yes. you could kind of keep working your, your your way back. But one of the things I think is important about all of that, and I think that story is the prime example. What put her in that position was beyond her control. Right, she didn't choose to grow up as a prostitute. Right. That was forced upon her. And because of what was forced upon her now impacts the way that she sees the world, the way that she thinks, and therefore the decisions that she makes. And that is so important, again, for Christians to understand, particularly in our evangelism to the world, is that it's not that 
we are condoning sinfulness. But I think we do have to say sometimes it's beyond people's control because they didn't choose the way that they grew up, for example. They didn't choose what's happened to them that has gotten them to this place. They didn't choose it. But they've been led to this place because of the sins of other people has led to their own brokenness. But that's kind of, I'm trying to get there. I've got one more thing I want to say real quick, but that comes to where God can fix all that, right? Even when we talk about things that are beyond people's control, God, the spirit can fix that. I think that's what we believe as, as Christians. So it shouldn't bother us to say that things are maybe sometimes beyond somebody's control. That's where the spirit comes in and helps. Because uh, again, you know, you were talking about the kind of the psychology and the mental aspect of particularly certain sins. And it's so important to realize that sometimes the change of our psychology is not because we actually chose to do something. It's because somebody did something to us. Uh, You think about abuse, what that can do to somebody. They didn't choose to be abused, but now that impacts the way that they see and understand the world. Yep. And a lot of the times, and most of the time, it's not for the better. And it's not something that they're going to completely be able to overcome in this life either. That's something else we have to understand. There are many struggles, many sins that you, you don't just get rid of. You don't you don't stop being an alcoholic. Alcoholics will tell right. you that. They'll tell you, I'm always an alcoholic. I just choose not to drink. And keep going. Uh, that's the redemption the renewal that we're waiting for in the new creation yep. uh, is to to deal with all of that. Um, one more thing that c- just kind of drives home this point is I like that Paul likes to talk about human beings who were in sin under the power of sin as being dead. Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, he uses this imagery of being dead. And when we think about what that imagery means, a dead person can't raise themselves I, they, they can't. A dead person can't just choose to be alive again, and that's the way that it, it yeah, works. Yeah. Uh, it takes an outside force. Scripture would say it takes God to raise someone from the dead. That's not just physical death, but that's also spiritual death, I would argue. And that leads into the the God thing. I think it, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables people to come to God, that enables people to choose God, that begins to put our brokenness back together, that begins to uh, fix our broken mirrors, that it's the spirit that does that. What's interesting to me is Paul's discussion in Romans 7, where he says the good we want to do, we don't. The evil we don't want to do, that's what we do. That leads directly into his best exposition of the power of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. That's what chapter 8 is about, life in the Mm -hmm. spirit. That's where Paul goes of, hey, yeah, we can't always choose the good we get dragged into the evil a lot of the times because of forces that are beyond our control but that's where the power of the spirit comes in yeah to transform us to bring us to god jesus says in john 16 and verse 8 that he's going to send the spirit and john is the paraclete uh, and the spirit is going to convict the world of sin that it's not us but it's the spirit that convicts the world of sin that shows sin, that shines a light on sin, and that brings people to God. We're going to, hopefully, at some point down the road, we're going to do 
a couple of episodes on the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that we're going to talk about there is that I believe that all human beings have a baseline indwelling of the Spirit. That is, God is working on all people. That at times we just suppress the working of the Spirit. So that's I think that's kind of how we keep from going into Calvinism. Well, where, you know, because I, you know, a lot of people may hear, well, if only God can empower us to choose good, then what if God doesn't empower me? Right? Maybe you get to Calvinism of, well, then there's predestination. Sure. Yeah. But if we say no, everyone has an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's working on all people. That's just suppressed. Sometimes it's us suppressing it. Sometimes it's other people sinning against us that suppresses the Spirit. Again, it's not always uh, within our control how the Spirit is suppressed in our lives. But God is still working. And I believe God can at some point, at some time, break through. Yeah. Because God's all-powerful and God is sovereign. God does eventually, I want to say, I want to affirm that God does eventually break through. And so everyone has the free will in that sense to come to God because God is working on everyone, not only within them, but also through the church, through evangelism, stuff like that. Uh, so I think that's how we get out of the um, predestination uh, pothole that you can jump into. Sure. But I'm hoping that helps people actually see how we got to predestination. Like some people think, well, that's just the craziest thing. Well, when you actually understand what Scripture says about sin, it's not that crazy. Right. Uh, it, it, it's you. It's in essence getting off on one point, this baseline indwelling, I think. You get off on that one point and you're kind of left with predestination. Uh, when you understand how God has to work through the Spirit and the results of our sin. So for me, I just kind of conclude my thoughts. You go back to a question, are humans good? I think I would answer yes and no. Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to put into all this into like a coherent sentence. Like, I feel like you have to have all of it. Like, this is a question where you can't just give a yes or no simple right. answer, right? That you have to kind of go through this process because we want to affirm the baseline indwelling of the Spirit, that God is working in everyone's life. We want to affirm that we're still image bearers, imperfect, but we're still image bearers. So we have that capacity to reflect God, not perfectly, but we have the capacity to reflect God. We have the capacity to do good. But at the same time, Sin begins working on our lives from conception. It changes the way that we think. It changes the decisions that we make. It impacts the circumstances and the experience that we have. Uh, it limits our free will in that regard. We think of total depravity, the way that sin is so ingrained in us, as Paul says in Romans 7, we can't consistently choose the good. As Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians, we're dead in our sins. So it takes this outside force to begin putting us back together, to help us choose the good, to bring us to God. And so it's like, we got to bring both of those things together and that's where I want to land, which is kind of this mysterious, weird, awkward place where I want to say uh, human beings are good and bad and both and neither at the same time. Like, I don't I, I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. Um, but I don't feel like I can simplify it. In my mind, I, I, to simplify it any more, 
is to simplify it to the point where we're uh, we've missed it again. Maybe uh, as we close here, uh, just to illustrate it this way, uh, it's on my mind because this Sunday night I'll be talking about. Uh, I'm going through Genesis, so I'll be talking about Genesis 12 uh, with Abram, but not the call, but what he does in Egypt the first time. Uh, and, you know, we could ask the question, okay, is Abram good, right? Well, yes and no. Uh, we see him answer the call to leave uh, and and go to this land that, that God will show him, but then we also see him uh, on a number of occasions, and and his wife as well, uh, tried to formulate plans and ideas to go, I know what God has said, but we don't know how it's going to be done, so we're going to, like, here's how we've devised to, to make this work. Uh, and there are mistakes. And God works through those mistakes, and God, uh, and, well, and Abram learns from his mistakes. But I think that's kind of the point that we're getting at here is Abram had capacity for good. He also had capacity for bad, and we see him do both. But it's in uh, it's when he follows God, says, "I'll trust you, I'll trust the story, I'll trust your plan," uh, that he uh, does like his best. That he does that he's more uh, reflecting of of the sun. That those cracks are a lot less uh, showy in those moments because he's following after. He's allowing his mind to be shaped by uh, by God uh, instead of his own way of thinking. Uh, and when we see him follow his own way of thinking, you get into trouble. But when he follows after God's uh, way of thinking, he blesses the nations that he goes around uh, and interacts with, which is exactly the path of Israel and their wrestling with God. Uh, and as we've stated already, you can back up Israel and say, yeah, that's humankind. That's what we do. And it is. Are we good or bad? Yeah. Uh, will be good for sure. If you want a yes for sure, uh, then follow after God's way of thinking uh, and do the best you can there uh, and reflect that to other people so that they too can be saved and sanctified. All right. Good episode, I think. Uh, We'll let you be the judge of all of that. Let us know what you think on various social media places and things like that. Hopefully you are listening through the whole time uh, and not doing some last-minute Christmas shopping on Amazon uh, while we were discussing. If you did, though, uh, feel free to go back and listen through. Check out the show notes uh, and make sure that you tune into thinkingtheologically.org to see some of the other stuff that we have coming up, including uh, a a special post on Christmas Sunday this year. So be on the lookout for that on all of our social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and on thinkingtheologically.org. We've enjoyed uh, this episode today. We'll see you next time.